0: Welcome to The Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of The Readerly Report. Gail and I are back, even though you probably didn't notice too much of a hiatus just because we had recorded episodes in advance. But Gail has been on vacation and I have just been breathlessly awaiting (laughs) her coming back. So I don't know. We probably haven't spoken for a couple of weeks at least. She was off in Spain and Portugal and I have been adjusting to a new job. So we're excited to talk to Gail tonight and get caught up on her vacation reads. And we have some... News about our Obama family <laughs> and their 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 rise in the the literary recommendation world. I would ge- I guess I would say, and uh, and then of course we have our book club. Yes. we have quite a few things to talk about. And then while you were away, Toni Morrison died, which made me so sad. Oh, I know. She was the first person that got me reading literary fiction and really understanding the power of fiction in telling stories and that stories could be so complicated and have such nuance. I don't, you know, whatever whatever I was reading before was probably more straightforward. And when I first tackled a story like that, it was Her Beloved, which I read in school. And so it just opened a whole host of,
1: Books for me, just a whole different
0: literary world.
1: I don't think I've read Toni Morrison in a long time. And I feel like I should revisit Um, just because it's been probably since like college or shortly after college. It's been, you know, a good 15, 20 years, maybe even more. So, yeah, that was definitely.
0: Yeah, I had read Beloved. I tried to read The Bluest Eye, but the, the subject matter in that one was just so tough. I mean, she tackles a lot of difficult subject matter. Of course, there are moments of not like it's all dark, but The Bluest Eye in particular, I was having a difficult time with. But I read her book. I think she wrote one maybe three or four years ago called, is it God Loves a Child or God Saved the Child or it was something like that. But she, I mean, her work is just always fascinating and nuanced and compl- complicated. And I just walk away thinking about the world in such a different place and of all the people the people that you hear about who've passed on I don't know hers touched me in a way that just I had not had, had
1: not really felt mm-hmm. felt it in a while mm-hmm. hmm. yeah. such a treasure and I think especially during the Obama administration she got kind of even wider birth, you know, like more people were maybe aware of her and he was such a fan and, you know, managed to, I feel like involve her in a lot of kind of national events. Right. So I don't know, it sort of feels like even another passing of another sort of vestige of the Obama administration. But there's always Netflix. There's always Netflix for well, what? Well, because remember, they're doing all those documentaries. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I thought you were talking about Tony Morrison. No. Well, <laughs> like
0: I don't know. There might be a Netflix, Netflix documentary <laughs> to come on her. There may be one up there already. Yeah. But. Yeah. And she was such a great – she was involved in the literary world and editing for so long before she even started writing her own books. And, you know, when she did them, I think it was after her – husband had left her and she was a single parent and the work that she managed to create with having so much going on. I'm just so in awe. Yeah. So.
1: All right. Well, we have a lot to catch up on outside of that. So I got back from vacation a few days ago and I know in one of our last shows, we talked about what I was going to take on vacation so at least I can report back on what I actually read, which was about half of what I brought. What is but I guess that's this? about what I expected.
0: Okay. Well, you couldn't have brought that many, or maybe maybe your reading picked up. Because I remember at one point getting a text from you, and you had been gone for a few days, and you, were just, you said you had only gotten to read one book.
1: Yeah. Well, I think in the end... It ended up being four and then another one on my return. So it's been, of that group of eight, I guess it got to five. So that's not not too bad. Yeah, I mean, two of them were on the shorter side, so that helped. But yeah, so I made it through four books while I was gone. I read The Other's Gold by, is it Elizabeth Egan? Is that her name? No. Um, Elizabeth Ames, I want to say. Ames. Yes. Thank you. Elizabeth Ames. I don't know where I got Egan from. Jennifer Egan. Author. Elizabeth Ames. So I read that. Uh, that was the first book I read. That actually comes out this week. It comes out the 27th. And that's the book about four friends from college, which I think you and I both were like, yeah, that's a catnip plot set up for us. And I really liked it. That was very good. That is about four, four women who meet at some East Coast school. I think that the author – lives is like an author in residence at Harvard. I actually learned that today on Sarah's bookshelves live. And so I think the school that she, that these girls go to these women go to is um, loosely based on Harvard. It has a different name in the book, but they share like a common suite together. They're put there randomly as freshmen and they bond instantly as a foursome and they stay close throughout all of college living together in the same suite all four years. And then the book is about their lives after college, growing, becoming adults, working, marriages, things like that, having kids. And um, it's structured where each set, each quarter of the book has to do with a mistake that one of the characters makes. So there's four different mistakes, one for each character, and they are all kind of big, life-altering mistakes. And the book tracks how the mistakes happen and then how it affects both the character and then also the people around her. So it sounds like maybe a little bit of a sort of artificial or forced construct, but I actually thought it it worked out pretty well. And um, I don't know. I just really liked this one. It was very, um, very readable, very engrossing. And you kind of felt invested in these characters and what happened to them. So I liked that a lot and I highly recommend it. And, again, that's The Other's Gold, and it comes out um, Tuesday of this week, the 27th. And then the next book I read was called The Housekeeper and the Professor, which was recommended on um, the blog, one of the blogs I mentioned on our show where we were talking about recommendation sources, and it's um, Read Between the Wines. She had talked about this book, and it's written by a Japanese author, Um whose name I am now going to forget. And she, I think it's Ogawa. And it's a, it's a book about this woman who is assigned to be a housekeeper for a man who was a math professor, this very brilliant math professor who then had a car accident. And after the car accident, he lost his memory so that he can only remember the last 80 minutes at any given time. He can remember things that happened really early in his life and math theorems and things like that. But when it comes to sort of creating new memories, he can only remember 80 minutes worth. And it's about the relationship she develops with him. And he's kind of always talking about math and numbers and the connections between things. And it's about how she kind of learns about all this advanced math theories from him and the challenges of working for someone who you can't really build a, any kind of a meaningful relationship with when they don't have any memory but she starts bringing like her 10-year-old son with her her 12-year-old son with her to work and so he develops a relationship with the kid and i don't know it's a very sweet book it's it's short and poetic sort of a simple story and it just you know takes place basically in this house where she's Keeping house for him, but it's um. I thought it was really touching, and I liked. it I was about a lot. to say it sounds on the heartwarming side. Yoko Ogawa is the name of the author. It is heartwarming. I mean, it's sort of poignant. It's it's not like a super uplifting read because you know they because of the challenges of the the communication that they have. But it is it's a poignant book. I like that one a lot. And then I read The Last Romantics by Tara Conklin, which is another. I think that's a debut, right? No, no, it's on debut. She read The House Girl. Yeah. yeah. Have you read The Last Romantics? I can't remember if you read I that. I haven't one. read it. Should I read it? Okay. Yeah, I really liked it uh a lot. That one is about a family with four kids in it and it's about their lives growing up together as three sisters and a brother. And it just tracks them over the decades and you know, their relationships and various sort of tragedies that befall them but it's um i i like that one a lot also that is a a, the book club my my in real life book club read for the beginning of september we're meeting to discuss it and uh i yeah i liked it a lot i think it was um a read with jenna pick i think it was a book of the month pick maybe i could be wrong about that but i feel like i saw i've seen it on the book of the month stuff um and yeah, I thought it was really good. It was beautifully written, kind of. It kind of a little bit like the first one I talked about, the Ames book. They're both really just gorgeous writing. The Romantics, The Last Romantics, is engrossing and it's sort of easy to get into. And then you immediately feel like you want to know what's going to happen with these kids. And then they turn into adults, and they're all very different from each other, but they have a deep impact on each other's lives. So. I like that one a lot. I recommend it. And then against Nicole's recommendation, I did read and then there were none dun, dun, dun. by Agatha Christie. Dun dun dun. And I thought of you because you were like, I wouldn't read that late at night, like if you're in some hotel room in the middle of nowhere. It's just sort of creepy. Was, it's very creepy. <laughs> But I read it on the airplane, which I think was actually the perfect time to read it because it was not an overnight flight. It was bright in the airplane, so I was surrounded by people the whole time. So no one woke up. So with I didn't like have
0: figureheads in front of them, and
1: yes, yeah, so I didn't worry that someone like was that. like exactly going to like shoot me or something. Um, it was, you know, it's it's this. Agatha Christie mystery of these 10 people who are summoned to this island under these very vague circumstances. And then like one by one, they start dying. And so the question is like, what, first of all, what is connecting these random people? Why were they all picked? And then, you know, who's killing them off and how, how to figure out who did it in the end. I read this one for my like classic unread classic Category for the um every day I write the book reading challenge. I don't know. I was thinking so much while I read it that Agatha Christie, in many ways, is really dated. Like there were, <laughs> there were some really like anti-Semitic things in there. Oh God, yeah. There were. Well, the the, ti- um, the
0: original title of the book and the nursery rhyme that it's yeah. based on is super racist. That's why yeah, they changed it Indians. Till, and then they were none. And I think it was something else before that that I won't even say. I mean, Ten Little Indians is
1: is bad enough. Is bad enough, right. And, you know, there's, like, it's really classist. Like, like two of the victims were the housekeeper and the butler. And, like, no one cared at all about, like, them and their relationship. And, you know. (laughs) Who are the hell? I was just like (laughs) – yeah, they were the help. They were like they didn't matter. But but that's that's Agatha Christie. You know, when when did she write these books in like the forties, thirties?
0: I think so. Yeah,
1: I yeah. Mean, she was born I mean, in the
0: late eighteen hundreds, I think. So yeah, yeah. If you're expecting enlightened woke mysteries from Agatha Christie, then no. Yeah, I think that she's just she originated the form and that she does. I mean, if you. Update those things, she still has very compelling mysteries, and that's still one of the most. Like I said, I've read it more than once, and I still find it creepy. I don't want to discuss it too much more because this is one of the rare times that Gail and I are recording in the evening, and I
1: don't want it in my head. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I completely agree. And even Um, the person who did it and why he did it, it was just super creepy. It's all creepy, and you know it's like these people on an island, and there's no way off. But it's and good it that you gets got worn...
0: caught up in the technicality, so it wasn't
1: too scary. Because when you don't think about that, oh, which was... about like the yeah the the like PC the lack of PCness, right? <laughs> well, I mean, when there was a, there was this one character who was Jewish, and they were like, you know, they were like, I mean, no one has tried to like clean up this book at all. Like it just was <laughs> like. You know, he's a dirty little Jew type thing, and I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. So yeah, so it, maybe that I needed that to distract me from what was happening, and I I knew I knew what the plot was going in. So and again, like I did it on a plane; it was broad daylight. Like it just yeah, I think it that was that's probably what the best. Fascinates circumstances me to about read
0: that book is that you can know so much about it and have read it again, but it does not make it any less any less like hair raising and creepy.
1: Yeah. No, it's totally true.
0: And I guess it 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 is that because it's all it's kind of the basic fears of human beings. You know, we we place so much emphasis on other people doing things to us and outsiders or whatever. And of course, the most terrifying thing, the most terrifying statistic or anything is like you're most likely to be killed by someone that you know. It's not going to be someone, it's not going to be some other ethnic group, it's not going to be some stranger off the street. It's probably going to be someone in your social circle. It's going to be your family, your husband. Yeah. So it kind of takes that. I mean, they're sort of strangers, but they're not because they're, they're, there are loose connections between them. But to just, I guess, be on an island where it's inescapable that whoever's doing this to you knows you and is sitting across the dinner table from you. You know, it's not someone sneaking
1: on the island. Right. No, it's all like very premeditated. And it's also, like you said, you're, it's like a closed, this is the ultimate closed door. What do you call it? Closed closed room. Yeah, closed room mystery. It's the
0: original. I don't know if it's the original, but it's it's a very early.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And like, you know, some people say this is like her gold standard of mysteries. There's this one, and then there's Murder on the Orient Express, which has a different twist to it. Um, which i read recently yeah the so they're almost the converse of each other in some ways
0: murder right on the orient express is closed room too
1: and right when you think about the guilty party in each book right they're a bit they are sort of in linked in some ways but i i feel like we shouldn't say anymore because that will give it away but I, I wish I could say this is like sparking a great desire in me to like revisit Agatha Christie. the canon of Agatha Christie, but it's not really. I just don't love murder mysteries. I don't, they're just grisly. I just don't really like them. I'd much rather read about families and friends than I would like to read about people yeah, getting you, killed. You don't want
0: them to be killed. You just want them to be a tra- betrayed, emotionally eviscerated. Correct. <laughs>
1: Right. I don't mind like having to solve like, who was I it? Want that hurt emotional someone else. devastation. Yes, I don't need that. That's what I got through. So, and then also I've um since getting home, I have read our book club book which we're going to get into. So, I'll wait to start that one. But that is um that's my reading update from vacation. Okay. So, what have you been reading since I left? What have I been reading since you left? Well, I read
0: two, the, okay, so two books that I read and it took me a while. I was like halfway through the second one before I realized that back to back I was reading two books that had the, whose main characters had the same name, same first name. So I read the, the affairs of the, the, the affairs of the Falcons by, I want to say her name is, Melissa Rivero and that was really good. It's about a Peruvian family who comes to the United States and they are illegal. Young mother, she has two children. You know, her husband, I believe, of course, is highly educated and had a good job in his country, but he's forced to drive cabs and like work in a meat packing factory when he's in the United States. She works in a factory as a seamstress and it's just a lot about the lengths that she will go to in order to keep her family together. They are between apartments. So they're living with a cousin. They're living with his cousin. There is some tension between the family because I think they've been there for a few months. It's his cousin and she's married. So they, she has a child with her husband. So it's about seven of them, I believe in the same apartment and there's just friction between the women. And it talks a lot about just the differences in they're from Peru and there's some tensions between the cousin and the wife, you know, her name is Anna. There's racial tension going on because just they're different class systems from where they come from in Peru. But at the same time there is like this bigger overarching theme about immigration immigrant women and how, you know, even though their cultures may be different, like in the factory, there are, they're Peruvians, they're Puerto Ricans, they're Dominicans, how they are seen in the same ways and they have the same kinds of fear, fears. So Anna is just, she's, she really wants to stay. She's trying to keep her family together. Her husband, I think, is of the mindset that they should just even though that there is violence and political unrest in their country, that they would have a better, better chance and better opportunities if they take their children and go back or at least send the children back. But she is just determined that they stay there. And it explores a lot of the consequences of the choices that she makes, you know, or what she's faced with in trying to keep her family intact and, and to have the american dream for them. So it this was set in the 1990s but it just it did not feel it just still feels super timely in terms of the themes and you know what's going on and who does what work here and whether they appreciate it for it and who would be doing it anyway and just the conditions that a lot of people are living in and like what what does that really look like and how those choices affect a family and 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 affect this young mother I would really recommend that one. It was a really good one. And then I read Dominicana, which I think I mentioned, and one, a couple of, one of our shows before you went away, because I was, I think I did an on air picking of my book of the month club book. So this is the one that was by Angie Cruz. It's actually out on September 3rd. And it was really good. I remember, thinking, wasn't sure if it was YA or not, I guess, because it was a 15 year old. It is, it is not YA. Um, it's set back in the 1960s. It's like New York in the 1960s and young Anna is, her family thinks that it will be really good if she marries this man who's basically twice her age so that she can go to the United States and of course send for her family you know, have them come and live in the country. So that's what she sets out to, that's her entire goal. You know, she has her little boyfriend that she liked back there, but she has to put all these things aside. Like her papers are faked. They say she's 19 and she goes to be the wife of an older man who's been working. He kind of has his own thing going on. And she's so much younger than him, of course, that there are, just, she just does not have a lot of say in that time because it is the 1960s. So as a woman, you probably were not going to have as much say as you would, but she's basically a child, you know? So it's about her adjusting to the United States, um, her, her life with her husband and her husband's brother, who's younger comes to live with them. And what happens when there are things problematic, things that are going on around their land holdings back in the Dominican Republic. So her husband has to go back and take care of some business. And she's left alone to navigate life without him. And, you know, with his younger brother living and sort of watching over her. And you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the Anita Shreve book that we like so much stars are fire. Oh, because it has that whole element of a, woman who is forced into one life and she has the opportunity to experience a difference, like some freedom. And, you know, she starts taking English classes and, you know, the younger brother takes her out to dance. She has a chance to experience some life. And then of course, she has some decisions to make about what her life is going to be like and who she's going to be when her husband returns. So that was really good. Like, I, like, tore through that in a day. Oh, I've seen... Yeah. What else did I read? I read The Swallows, which I think I told you about because I was telling you how it is about blowjobs and not birds, <laughs> even though there's a bird mm-hmm. on, the, on the cover. I had issues with it. I, You know, this was supposed to be a, an adult novel. It's supposed to be an adult novel, but it was set in a boarding school, so... We, you know, I read this for an, uh, not an online, it was an in-person discussion where the author came around and she talked to each of the groups who were discussing this book. And it was interesting to talk to her about her writing perspective. And we talked a lot about boarding schools. And one of the women in my group said she felt like this book had like a really East Coast vibe. And even though it does have that East Coast vibe, you know, with like boarding schools and what kids get up to in boarding schools, At the same time, I also did feel like it said a lot about how men treat women and how early that behavior starts. But it just, it felt a little too YA for me to just really love it. It's supposed to be an adult novel. It was just, it was really hard to distinguish some of the perspectives between the the adults and the kids. And some of that could have been on purpose, them being immature or whatever, but there was just... It explored really interesting themes, but there was just like a depth, or there was something missing that I wanted from it. So, hmm. um, okay. right now, you know what I'm reading? I'm reading the Colleen Hoover book that you had asked me about. Verity. It's like it's new adult. I mean, it's interesting. It's about this woman. I think we were mystified as to the premise, but it's about this woman who is of as as you are when <laughs> miracles happen. She is a writer who has been taking care of her sick mother. She basically does not have any money. Um, Her books haven't been selling well. And she's called into this meeting with, um, she ends up getting offered this deal to finish these books for this really popular female writer who is not able to finish the books because she's sick. And there's been a bunch of tragedies in this family. So She's being hired to finish these books and she has to go, she goes to the home of this ailing writer and her husband and their son. And they've had two daughters who have like died within the past year under tragic circumstances. And so as she's spending time in their house, she's supposed to be going through all the research in order to complete the three books in this series when she discovers that the lady was writing an autobiography. And I guess, you know, like the autobiography reveals some really shocking things. And I think she might be sort of attracted to the husband and just lots of drama and, but also lots of sex.
1: So what made you decide to pick it up? Was it because we had talked about it and you were sort of curious?
0: I think that we had talked about it. I was a little bit curious. Um, The print is big and it's short. So I've just read some really deep books about immigration and, you know, just basically women fighting their way through trauma. So I wanted to go, not that, I mean, this is like a, this is a mystery and I guess it's a a mystery and maybe like a romantic or erotic thriller, but I just kind of wanted something a little bit different. So I was like, well, let me see what the hype is about since everyone's like, crazy over this book.
1: I'm just so interested because as I mentioned, I like, I see people talking about it all the time in various groups online. So I'm so glad you read it.
0: Definitely. If you're not into or reading it, if you're not into like book with lots of sex, then this is not, I mean, this woman like sits on someone's face at some point. So it's not like it's the light fade to black sex. It's like sex. So that's my disclaimer about the book, but I do like the premise and it, it's interesting and it goes fast. I mean, it's not like it's um, she's a storyteller. So it just goes mm-hmm. very quickly and I'm interested to see what it's like. And on audio, I'm listening to one night in Georgia by Celeste. O. nor And it's about these three college women who decide to, I think they decide to drive back down to school. And it's about like their road trip experiences. Also set in the nineteen sixties, and it's three very different African American women who make this trip together, and what happens on this trip. So I really I don't know who's narrating. I have to see who the narrator is because she, I like the narrator. She has such a sweet voice for
1: this, and I'm really enjoying. this What's book the name so of
0: the book again? Far. One Night in Georgia.
1: Okay. I forgot to mention what I'm reading, what I'm doing on audio. I actually started it before the trip. So, and I've picked it up since we got back. I'm listening to the memoir by John Taylor from Duran Duran. Okay. It's called. Your 80s music people. My 80s music, music memoirs. It's like, I can't get enough of them. It is called, I think it's called, oh yeah. In the Pleasure Groove. Love, Death and Duran Duran. And it's great. I love it. <laughs> it's great. It's of course narrated by him. And uh, I've just gotten to. He's like finally got like the band Duran Duran uh, assembled. Together. Yeah, although okay. it's not. It's not its final version. It's Nick Rhodes, John Taylor, Roger Taylor. But it's not Simon Laban, and it's not who's the fifth m- member of Duran Duran. There were three Taylors, right? They're just two or they three.
0: I have no idea. You got me. Yeah. The only name
1: I recognize was Simon LeBond. Uh, like, Simon LeBon, these- yeah. Well, so John Taylor is the bass player, and then Roger Taylor – oh, there's an Andy Taylor. I think there's an Andy, a Roger, and a John Taylor, I think. Then there was Nick Rhodes, who was uh, John's longtime childhood friend. Like, they'd been friends for years. And then Simon LeBon is their front man, and he hasn't – he hasn't gotten onto the scene yet but they already are a band called Duran Duran so they're we're, we're getting starting to get to the good stuff. We're like in the early 80s and I don't know he's um he's kind of an interesting guy he did a lot of like he's very interested in like photography and design and costume and fashion so like when it comes to you know describing the punk, Music movement and then how the glam rock into punk and then punk into new wave and talking about everything from the lettering on the flyers for the bands to what they were on stage to, you know, the cover imagery and stuff. I don't know. He's got like he's got like a lot of dimensions to him. So um I, I'm really liking it. So now that I'm back from my trip and I'm going to be in the car more driving to and from work and picking up kids and yada yada, I will keep reading this book, keep listening to this book. You are
0: finishing up our book club book, or you just finished up our book club book, so you didn't start a new
1: print book, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. I'm thinking maybe I'll tee up Three Women, which I still haven't read.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I finished Three Women. And you finished Bad Blood. So
1: how was it once you finally... Oh, I did finish Bad Blood. It was good. It was good. Like once I committed to it and gave it the time it needed. Once it came out of the bathroom? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I'm glad I read it. It's kind of made me want to watch the documentary and the HBO, whatever. I mean, I know there's been a lot of different treatments of it. I think I maybe watched one episode of the documentary,
0: I think it was a two-parter and I don't know if I watched both both parts.
1: Yeah, I'm curious and people keep telling me that like when you watch the video when you watch the documentary and you see all the different videos, you start to see how much like her voice changes that you know she's got this like weird <laughs> manly voice and that there's lots of times when they caught her on camera using exactly. her Yeah, using her maybe quote-unquote natural voice uh yeah i in. i'm intrigued to read to watch those but yeah i'm glad i read it and um you were good to give me the kick in the pants i needed to like you know actually commit to the book rather than complaining that it wasn't drawing me in when i was giving it so little now i'm curious
0: to see if you like three women how you like how you enjoy three women
1: okay yeah, I don't know what I'm going to read next. It might be that. I don't know. I, I'm going back to work tomorrow. So maybe it'll be Verity. Do you have it? I don't. No. <laughs> I, don't. Uh, I don't. I I think
0: know. people have heard about it. A friend of mine, we're always texting back and forth about what we're reading. And she just gave the thumbs up to a Megan Miranda book called, uh, what is it? The Last house Guest, I think. Now, a long mm. time ago, I had read Fracture by Megan Miranda, which was YA. I love that book so much. So good. And then she had an adult novel out, I think, last year that I read. And it was just sort of ho-hum. So I'm curious to see if I would like this one. The Last House Guest, Yeah, she said she finished it in 24 hours great beach read to end the summer on.
1: Unfortunately, it's not mine or else I'd give it to you. I feel like I re- heard about The Last House guest, possibly also on Sarah's bookshelves live or maybe reading on, and on her blog because I feel like I just, that sounds familiar to me. Is that new? Yes. I yeah. think it just came out. Yeah. This month or. Yeah. It's like a fall book. That catches us up on what we've been reading. It's I definitely recommend The Last Romantics and also The Other's Gold. Those are both good. And they were good, very good uh, vacation reads. And you mentioned at the top of the show we have some Obama news. So while I was gone, I shared a few articles with you. One was that uh, a book of a recommendation or a, a article from Bustle about Michelle Obama and it's going over some of her recommendations. You, we've talked a lot about Barack's recommendations, but she, um, this article is saying that she has recommended eight different books that this author, the author of this article thought were really good. So that she's got really good taste. So I'll tell you what those books are: Song of Solomon, Toni well, Morrison. One, one is
0: Gone Girl, which you want to mention on our thriller show last week.
1: Um. Yeah, Girl Reason on the Train. Oh,
0: see, we are Michelle Obama. I know.
1: See, once again. Um, Girl on the Train. Um, Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. White Teeth by Zadie Smith, which I've never read. Gone Girl, as you mentioned. American Marriage, which as everyone who has listened to the show knows, we, you and I both love. And it won. It was the best of our right? books. It won. Um, educated, Diary of Anne Frank, Commonwealth by Anne Patchett. I, mean, I think I've read every one of these except for uh, White Teeth. Yeah, so that's it. I haven't read that either. So that's it. Uh, one, two, three. See, that's
0: why Michelle Obama will never be on our show because she's us. <laughs>
1: well, maybe we should have her on the show. We can't be two. We can't be in two places at the same <laughs> exactly, time. Exactly right. <laughs> Right. It's a, it's a physical impossibility. Um, so anyway, but they're just sort of saying that, you know, you give, give her a little credit too, because she reads a lot of literary fiction and that she's got good, good taste.
0: She needs to read. I mean, but are we, do we have to search for these? You see Obama just puts his out there i think michelle needs mm-hmm. to gather hers together so that we can but isn't that right there them and have a show on isn't them.
1: that right there the the exact contrast between the two yes i was gonna say yeah. that i mean there's the, that therein lies the the exact the rub. the rub that's why they're so different so he then um we talked about, I think we, maybe we didn't talk about it, but he put his summer reads out. And no, I think we talked about another show, but then there's another,
0: no, we didn't talk about, we didn't yet, talk about, cause them? he just put the new ones oh. out. Yeah. The new ones just came
1: out since you've been oh. away. He
0: did that. And he also did his summer music list that everyone is freaking out about. I've seen this list on Instagram. I don't know how many times it's a pretty good list though.
1: Well, he, his book list came out, right, August 14th. You're right. So it came out right after I left. So he recommends, um, here's his list, um, The Collected Works of Toni Morrison. And I think that he's put this out before she died. Um, he has The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Which I didn't get a chance to read, but I want to read. No, she died August
0: 5th, and then he put it out. Oh, okay. Out Got
1: it. Okay um exhalation by ted chang a collection of short stories which i've never heard of science fiction apparently mm. uh wolf hall which is a book i will never read i love. But I you. know people adore i did i love wolf hall once you get
0: the hang people of love that book huh yeah as people love it yeah once you get the hang of it there is a trick that you have to use to remind you of who's speaking because it's 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 written in such a weird i guess i don't point of view or I would you even say tense, but yeah, the point of view and tense are just really strange. So once you get into that, it's really good.
1: Okay. His next one is Haruki Murakami's men without women. Uh, I've not read anything by him. American spy by Lauren Wilkinson. I love that book. The shallows and not to be confused with the swallows. (laughs) one letter makes a big difference here yeah I was
0: about to uh, say he liked that
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, the shallows it is uh, arguments on the internet's impact on our brains our lives and our communities that's the shallows um, yeah that sounds like something we should all read uh, Lab Girl I have that on audio uh, yeah I haven't read that um, Inland by Tia Obrecht, Obrecht which just I think came that's out that's on my fall reading list yeah, I think I got that at Book Expo. Um, Dina Menjastu's novel, How to Read the Air. I have not read anything by him, including the one I always wanted to read that was set in D.C. Hmm. And then Made by Stephanie Land. Those are his picks. And then this article, which we'll link to, is by it's on Inside Hook, which I've never even heard of Inside Hook. But um, <laughs> have you heard of this before? No. Yeah. But they're talking about how that he is becoming a literary tastemaker and his growing influence. And it says books were sort of Obama's thing. And you and I have talked about that. We've read through that whole list, that very long list of every book he had either recommended or mentioned he was reading you should link over to the, that the show. years. Yeah, I will link to the show and I'll also link to that list. But um, it's cool. They're showing like tweets of people who um, were on his list and they're like, like Stephanie Land is like, I can't believe I'm on this list, which is really kind of cool.
0: I know. I wanted to get Lauren Wilkinson to come on the podcast, but maybe she will, she'll have this big Obama bounce and be too busy for us now.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: See, I'm a little, I'm a tastemaker. I want to get these people and then they show up on something really big. (laughs) Well, it just shows that we
1: have good taste.
0: Simultaneously happy for them and annoyed.
1: All right. So let's do our book club discussion. So our book club book this time around was The Travelers by Regina Porter. Porter. And I think I have, I'm going to look for it on my phone. I think I have a picture of her because she was at book expo signing books. And I think I have a picture of her. I, I will look for that while we're talking. And if I have that, I will also post that on our blog post. So anyway, why don't you talk about what this book is about and give a little background before we get into our discussion. Okay. So this book is basically, it's the sweeping tale
0: of two families and how their lives intertwine like over the years, over generations and over over different locations. And it's one of the, these books that I mentioned where I I've been reading books that are similar. Not similar or or some aspect of the book will be really highlighted. And I think one of the things that this book really highlights is the great migration, African Americans moving from southern states to northern states in hopes of greater opportunities. And it's an odd book to explain because there are several main characters, but I think that the one that you could really center it on is Agnes. It starts with Agnes Christie when she is a young woman, uh, um, looking forward to attending college, living in a segregated South. I think she lives in Georgia and it's all about the things that happen to her that propel her to make the choices that she has made. The novel I want to say is hard to explain because basically you could look at it as linked short stories like each of, I felt like each of the stories was really rich and stood on its own. But then as you go through time and as you meet different people, it's one of those books that gives you those moments that tie back and you say, aha, this is how they knew each other, or this is this missing piece of the puzzle that I was looking for to figure out someone, which I thought was really good. So that was the complicated version way of explaining it, but it's basically about two, two families and how their lives are linked. Like I said, over, over these migrations from North to South and black and white and how they interlap and how they have And how their families have met in other ways over time. And you just meet such a great cast of characters.
1: Yes, they're a very diverse group of people. In this book. I think the great feat, just sort of a technical feat of how this book is written is that every chapter really picks up a different strand of this braid and You know, it's not chronological, it's not consistent, like geographically, she'll, you know, she'll look, she'll concentrate on one kind of pocket of a family in one chapter in 1950. And then the next chapter picks up a different strand of the family in 2008. And it jumps around geographically, time wise, and very much thematically and even. Even the style of each from chapter to chapter varies. You know, one chapter was – one part of a chapter was written as a screenplay. One um, – you know, sometimes it's very sort of concrete and literal and uh, very realistic. And sometimes it's got more – Yeah, sometimes uh, it's really
0: ethereal and more like
1: – Yeah, more poetic f- almost. Uh, fantastical perspective. Right. It's challenging to keep the character straight. She actually gives you a cast of characters in the beginning of the book. So I found myself flipping back to that frequently just to remind myself how people were related. And there's a lot of sort of second wives, second marriages. There's like an illegitimate son in one of them. So you're – wait a minute. How is – how aren't they connected again? So that is helpful. There's some moments I really loved when I started to
0: figure out that they that was happening. that the story is not chronological and you start to make these connections. And in some instances, when you in some instances, you know already that certain characters know each other. and then it becomes because they have such an in- interesting dynamic, you just wonder, oh, how did they meet? You know, like how did they cross cross paths? And you can't wait to get to the point where it is that they, have, they meet each other.
1: I think you hit on the theme. I mean, it's not too hard to get when especially the title of the book is The Travelers. But it is all about migration for various reasons, purposes, and motivations. Um, and with various degrees of success. Sometimes people are escaping relationships. Sometimes they're seeking better economic situations. Sometimes, you know, they're moving for a job. Sometimes they get married. Sometimes it's just random, you know, they, one character was uh, employed as a mover, and he moved furniture from Georgia, no, he moved furniture to New Hampshire, and then decided to stay, like, it's so, people are, like, kind of moving, if you imagine, like, a big map of the United States, people are kind of moving all over the place for all different reasons, and I think that's, you know, the title of her book. So I think that's the non-spoilery part of it. So now um if
0: you have Okay, so the if that intrigues words, you. Right. Yeah. You should definitely If that intrigues you,
1: go read the book and then resume listening to the show. And if you have read the book, keep on listening. Okay, so what do we All right, so this need to spoil here.
0: What did you think? Okay, so Agnes and Eddie marry. And what did you think about how they navigated their relationship based on the fact that they had such traumatic experiences?
1: You mean before they got married? Like that she had. Well,
0: with Agnes, it was before they got married because, you know, she had that boyfriend that she really liked. Right. And they. Are stopped by police officers, and this is like Georgia in the 1950s or 60s. Right. And she is, a, you know, she's like, she's raped in the woods by these police officers under threat right. that her boyfriend, her boyfriend will be, that, you know, something worse, even worse will happen if she doesn't go along with what they want to do. And that basically just changes her entire life. And then there's Eddie who knows that she's been through things. You know, I think that he's, of course, she's a lovely woman. He's just trying to flirt with her. But they have a moment in the car when she's dropped off at a picnic. And these are things that we find out in flashback about the characters. You know, you just don't know up front that we know that she marries a man, She just ends her relationship with the guy that she had been with on the night that she is assaulted.
1: I mean, that was like one – you may have liked this book more than I did. I had some issues with it. I mean, I think the vast cast of characters, I found – it's sort of as a bit of a double-edged sword for me because sometimes I felt like it was just too – hard, you know, you get to know them in this very intense flash, and then you move on. So it's not that the treatment of each character felt superficial. It's just that it was, it was very short. And then there was, then you would move on to the next story. And so I felt um, like it was short, but I also felt like it could be broad because it did circle back. It did circle back. Yes. And it, it, and certainly by the end of the book, you have a much more complete picture because you're, you're picking up plots here and there and th- strands and threads and then you get to have a bigger picture of it I think like for me like some of the relationships like for I think the Agnes and Eddie one is a good one like they it was sort of like I didn't feel the passion you know there were a lot of relationships in the book where they would say they loved each other And that was a sort of a theme of, like, this kind of, like, stubborn love that, you know, would persist through affairs and distance and all of that. But it was almost like I was being told that these people had this deep love for each other, but I didn't really believe it. Because I didn't see it. I couldn't really. Who did you feel? I didn't see evidence of it. Did you feel like Agnes
0: and Eddie were the couple that you, a couple, one of the couples that you felt like had deep love for each other?
1: I mean, it, it. like the way they got together was just so convenient. Like, I mean, she was just escaping from this, this, like you said, the man she really loved, but it was such an awful reminder of the night that, that, that had happened to them that she like broke up with him and then kind of latched onto the next guy she saw. And I didn't feel like that. It didn't feel very convincing to me that there was like a deep, deep love there. I mean, I think they loved each other and they raised two kids together and, um, you know, they stayed together, right? And they, they stayed together until he died, I think.
0: They did. I don't know that I ever felt like we were told that they had a deep love. I, I felt like they raised children together. I felt like he he was just there for her at a particular time and, and that she, you feel like, I don't feel like the version that we have of love is the same across time. Like when Agnes and Eddie would have gotten married, I don't think that, I think her parents were very particular about they wanted her to be with a certain type of man who was going to be able to provide for her. I don't even know that they thought that that man was, was going to be the, the man that she was dating at the time that anything right. happened to her. So I didn't God. think that these re- relationships, a large part of it was that you got together and you did things out of obligation for family and to carry on family. And maybe to ha- help your family have a better life, more so as these were supposed to be relationships based on passion. Maybe they were passionate in, right. in how they decided to stay together, because I think it took a lot to stay with someone like Eddie when he came back from the war, and he's basically just reciting this play because he's losing his mind because right, he and his cousin had the killed- horrors of Vietnam. Yeah, the horrors of the war, and they have basically killed a racist officer while they're serving in the Navy. And this is just eating him alive inside out. So it's coming through. It's like in certain ways he can understand that he he cannot, you know, he does not have the luxury of being crazy. Like he has to sort of keep down a job and try to be a good man with his family, but at the same time, he's really affected by what has happened to him. He, he talks to fictional Shakespearean characters. <laughs>
1: yeah. And it's, it's like, and
0: like, for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life. And it's a main part of the book. And I thought it was really interesting in terms of people not getting help, you know, especially in particular, I know with, from my experience in the African-American community, he, he, it's still, I don't think that it's still as destigmatized that you just go to a therapist, you know? Right. That you have people in your lives who do things and it's just kind of like, you know, that's uncle, whoever, or that's, that's just how they are. And right. so it's, it's just like never really addressed for him. What was really interesting though was that point with the mother when Agnes approaches, um, I can't think of, her daughter's husband
1: name she goes after him with the hot iron oh rufus yeah yeah i don't know like i mean even talking about rufus's family like so rufus had his father the the man james who (laughs) see like rufus's parents like they that was an example to me of like I couldn't really understand why they were getting divorced. And then once they were divorced, they were still in touch and like admitting that they still loved each other. i like, it was, I, I wanted more like um less ambiguity with these relationships. I'm like, are they together? Or are they not together? Do they love each other? Or do they not? And I know like life isn't like that. It's not as clean as that. But like with this book, I felt like there was so much bleeding of, you know, blending, I guess of like, well, they're together and then they're not together. And then, you know, Agnes had the, like, the 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 friend that she shared a bed with when she was in high school who was gay and in love with her. But then, like, she sort of in some ways kind of let her on, but she was also interested in men. Like, it, it was – everything was a little bit too fluid for me. And with this many characters and this many families and relationships, like, I needed a little more, like like, clear lines just to keep me – just to help me keep things straight and to sort of – understand. And uh, like, I don't know what the author was trying to do with all that ambiguity. Um, but for me, it came out a little muddy. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I thought that that was the beauty
0: in it. Because I just feel like that, especially in these times that she's talking about no one, I mean, I think we live in a time where you can take a stand and you can be unambiguous, you know, with unambiguous, unambiguity say, I am gay, I am this, I'm that. But she yeah. was just really getting at the lines, I think, that people, how people in certain ways, in the little ways that they could allow people to be themselves or acknowledge. Like I think the mother, because you're talking about Agnes, and there are a lot of characters, I'll give you that. So I can't
1: think I can't think of and her. And it's been a while since you read it. I mean, it's hard. Her name...
0: <laughs> Which one? Let's see. I'm like looking at the little chart in front of the book. So there's Agnes and then there's her friend. Because that's who you're talking about. Eloise. Eloise. All right. So Agnes and Eloise. Like Agnes's mother knows. I think she suspects that her daughter might be gay. Or that she knows, she definitely knows that something is going on between the women, which is why at some point mm. she goes to Eloise, you know, it's, it's time for you to move on because Eloise yeah. ended up staying with them mm. as a favor as, right. you know, she felt like it was the right thing to do to take Eloise in after her parents left. And at this right. point in history, they were just, they were never going to be together. And I think that they were there would be some things that your mother might notice because as, as little noise as you feel like you're making
1: yeah, your, no, she figured, she figured it, out. Figured it out. They come to the, they said they'd come to the breakfast table all like satisfied and happy. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: and of course, you know, the mother does not want that for her daughter. I mean, uh, not only because yeah. you just don't want that for your daughter at that time, but because she wants her to get married and have someone support her and, so this relationship can't really exist. So it has to be ambigu- ambiguous. You know, like they are very close friends and they share a room. And it just made me think a lot about how people had to live when you could not be so, when things could not be so in black and white. Because I think right. now we look at things and it's just like, well, why do you do that if you don't want to do that? And, and there was no that as these relationships yeah. are evolving. So you're sort of trying to live in between the lines and outside the lines and... Yeah. Or even Rufus's anger, the way he went off on that tourist or the man who propositions his mother and he kind of like almost beats him very badly. Right. And then he's just sent back home. So things that happen and you know that they're stemming from certain things, but those are things that you don't talk about. I just... Yeah, I just, it's not an easy book to read. You know, if you want something that's more straightforward, then this is not like the book for you. Right. But I really loved how she wove it all together. And I feel like I could read it again just to get all the little parts.
1: Yes, I think that is a book that you could read again. One thing that I appreciated a lot about this book is... You know, I feel like sometimes books that sort of deal with like black and white um, families, they set up a lot of contrast between them where, you know, you're following like the black story and then you're following the white story. And in this book, it was not that way at all. You never know who's attached to what. you don't know who's attached to what. And there's so much in here that's just universal. And I think that was also part of her point, which is like, I'm going to tell this American story that's going to draw from a lot of backgrounds and a lot of different races and, you know, different types of people, but they're all kind of facing the same things. They're all running from the same things. I mean, they may have different levels of privilege and they talk about that actually a lot in here. And they talk about, there was this one section that I thought was so interesting. And it was like, When people say, like when white people say or there's certain terms that people use, this is how black people interpret it and how it like all these expressions have these hidden race, racial implications and hidden meanings. And I'm not saying that she's. Not acknowledging like white privilege or like, you know, Rufus grows up on the Upper West Side and attends like this private school and they talk about, you know, the Eloise is on scholarship and there's, you know, huge swings in like the amount of resources people have. But I do think that this there's a lot of universality in here where people are either running from the same bad marriages or dealing with the same disappointments in spouses or having the same issues communicating with their kids or whatever and then the you know the, unif- the unifying of the two races through the marriage of rufus and uh well what's her name agnes's daughter who rufus marries i'm just blanking claudia um you know, you, you start to see this kind of universality of life experience. And I like that she didn't set up like, okay, well, this is how the black families dealt with dealt with this. And this is how the white families dealt with this. It was all, it was all very common and, and messy and shared in some ways. Does that, did they hit you the same way that message or did you not, did you not see it like that?
0: It did. And, and I, I feel like she did do that on purpose, but I feel like that a lot about life, you know, like we're always making these distinctions about these people and what they do or whatever, but it's, it's similar, you know, like when you have, and I love the way she did that, you know, in some ways you think, okay, these families, you know, they're talking about families from Georgia and, and the different ranges of families, you know, like a country club family a poor black family, how would they know each other? You know, so it's like we have these two families that we're following up and down the Eastern seaboard, but they know each other and we see the other connections that they have, which I think lets you see that whether people are in your family or not, you have overlapping experiences. Like I think the camphors, which are (coughs) Rufus's half brothers people, his Mm. uncle is like Mm a, is a truck driver or something. And so camp camp for, right. So they have that, the black driver and the white driver, they make that stop or they make that ride together. And of course it's at the time when I think this was in Tennessee around the time when, or shortly after Martin Luther King has been assassinated and, you know, the black driver has that, obsession. He wants to see where it is. And he ends up meeting mm-hmm. this woman and, you know, so they came from two different parts of you know, life, black and white, but they found a way to relate and they had that their experience together. And in some cases they move on. And in some cases they stick with each other a little bit more. But I think that life is, you know, I think that life is like that. It's just like, if you let it be like that, as opposed to always making things, um, about other things. And of course they do become about other things like privilege that you have or whatever. And, you know, there's that big thing between Rufus and now I need my list again. Who's Rufus's Mm -hmm. wife, you know, the woman that he marries and there's this big thing, With the parents and the sister, Claudia, how she didn't let, you know, one sister, the other sister's upset with Claudia because she didn't let the kids stay with them for this trip. And it's like, look, you let them stay with the older white parents and they didn't watch them properly and they've almost drowned. But, you know, you wanted them to have that relationship with that side of the family, which she thinks that they're favoring because of race and because of what they can give the kids or so there's always these, there's all these little
1: things that are going on. Right. There's a lot to unpack in this book. Sure um, is. Yeah. I mean, I, it wasn't like my most enjoyable read ever, but I am really glad I read it. You're also kind of and powering
0: through it a little too.
1: Yeah, I was powering I through think to if you, to if it to you if you it before wanna, recorded.
0: Um, Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll, it's worth a reread. I didn't have to hightail it through so fast because I think with this book you do definitely benefit because there are these relationships that you that you don't realize are there or that after the fact you realize is more important than you thought it was. Yeah. In closing, I do want to say I love the way that she bookended the book because in the beginning it starts off with this crazy story about guessing the weight of this alligator. Oh, Right and, um, in the end, she's able to confront one of the officers who assaulted her that evening because of course it is making it's making the point that uh, especially for if you don't have any if you are not privileged by wealth, you don't have the money to necessarily escape your past. It's there, like the people who carried through that assault on her are you know they own property in the town they run the town right and if you want to so much as go out with your family and have a drink then you could run into you know the guy who has done something so terrible and they have this moment where it's sort of like he, he can maybe he sort of remembers what he's done that you can be a person who does such awful things and you don't even quite remember it all Right. But it's a, it's a point that she has to get to and she's able to go in there and give him, to face him in that way When she t- when she tells him the weight of that crocodile and she's able to get, you know, whatever,
1: the free drink for her family. Right. So that is our show. The Travelers by Regina Porter. And Nicole and I will confer on our next pick. Do we have anything already waiting in the wings or we need to pick something?
0: I, um, it's up to you because I think that you want it to do Michael Swan and it's the next book is oh, is yeah. yours. Let's do it.
1: Let's do it. Okay. So our next book is called The Real Michael Swan by Brian Reardon. It is a read. Last week of September. Last week of September. Okay. Last Thursday. Thursday. Good to get back in touch. We're going to get back to more regular, regular shows. We'll discuss fall reading. Until then, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about the reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks.